Sarah. Hello, Alyssa. Lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you again as well. And welcome to you and to me and to everyone. Sarah's space. Sarah's space. I'm trying different ways of saying that. I'm intoning it more majestically now. Sarah's space. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I was slightly frightening. No, thank you. Sorry. 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 I apologize to everyone out there. That's okay. How did you say it? It was very nice. Sarah's space. Inquisitive, lovely, engaging. It makes me think of The Friendly Giant. And I'm not trying to steal from The Friendly Giant. Did you ever see that show? I remember reading The Big Friendly Giant, the book. No, no, no. The Friendly Giant on CBC. When I was like, oh, it's very important. You know what I'm talking about. I, he he had this beautiful, gravelly, deep voice. And he would welcome one. He would welcome everyone. And then his hand would go onto a set so he was a man oh, yes. yeah and they were all it was a it was yes. a childlike toy dollhouse set and you always felt like he was genuinely inviting you into that world and so I want to feel like I'm doing the same thing I need the friendly giant voice that's so nice <laughs> I was more of a Mr. Rogers gal myself I never saw that really yeah I never saw it I heard wonderful things about it but never saw it there's a wonderful documentary about it. I'm sure you can catch up. I yes, I actually did hear about that, and I heard that he was quite a special man that mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of really wonderful things for humanity. So, I I won't aspire quite so high at this point in time, but I'll go for friendly giant status <laughs> and try to at least welcome you into my space. Yes. So we've talked about so many lovely things over our last few times with each other. I yeah, I, I like to think so. That last one really got me right in the oh, right oh, did it. Yeah, right in the old ticker. Oh. Yeah. In a good way, I hope. Yes, it really pulled at my heartstrings in oh. a really lovely, lovely way. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Thank I'm you. really glad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it makes me think more and more about how we are together, how we learn we are together, mm-hmm. how we deal with one another, mm-hmm. the ways we ask each other and ourselves overextend ourselves ask for people to do and hold space for us in ways that uh, we don't even know we're asking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. power dynamics mm. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna concur with everything at this point in time well you know uh to go back to the earlier uh phrase that you said about holding space for one another and asking things of one another without even realizing that we're doing it I actually think that ties in neatly with power dynamics because I think that a lot of people in power positions see themselves, I like to think, in a benevolent fashion in which they are helping everyone. Mm -hmm. And everyone's idea of how to help obviously is different because we are all such different human beings. And I feel as though some people think to help people, it's not effective if that the receiving person does not do exactly what they say, mm-hmm. they're not being helped then. So thereby that person who's trying to help is failing and thereby they're not doing a good enough job. And so the power dynamic, the benevolence becomes much harder to see and the power dynamic becomes much more ferocious, I find. Mm-hmm. I feel that I do have a very staunch belief, I guess, in the archetypal psychological perspective of alpha, beta personalities um, I guess because I do feel quite akin to my animal nature, and that is a very, it's a very real thing in the animal kingdom. There is an alpha, there is a beta, 
and there are all the personalities before, after, and in between. And being an alpha, I think in today's society, the connotation is, is that you're a leader and you're magnificent and you are, you know, incredibly well-spoken and you are strong and you are brilliant. And that's not necessarily what it means at all. It just simply means that your tendency quite often is to lead not necessarily because other people want to follow. Mm-hmm. So you quite often could be bossy. You could be uh, dictatorial. You could be really not listening whatsoever, but just doing a lot of telling and a lot of you should type conversations. Mm-hmm. So the communication is very one-sided. Um, being a beta does not mean that you are lesser than. It does not mean that you are uh, quiet, meek, and passive. It means quite often that you're used to receiving and sometimes that in the receiving, you're able to give more effectively. Mm. So it's all it's all relative. But I I do I do feel a kinship with that particular archetypal way of looking at things. That paradigm speaks to me a great deal because I think in my in my family in my childhood family, my dad was quite a I would say quite a traditional alpha personality, and my mom was a very traditional beta personality in that. There was a conventionality to the way that dad was sort of the unspoken disciplinarian. He was the one that you really weren't going to do certain pushing the envelope behaviors around. He was the one that if he yelled, you definitely got frightened. Things were not going in a good direction. Mm -hmm. And mom was the one that would ameliorate situations that had gone too far in the wrong direction or would be the go-between communicator if if there was really a rift that was having the most difficult time mending. And, and then in, as far as role playing goes, um, it, you know, at one, one point in time, my dad was the sole breadwinner and my mom was the, the sole homemaker and home carer. So I guess my, my first memories of those relationships, I'm going to say were actually quite simplified in their complexity. I didn't, I didn't look at them and say, this is what a man and a woman are like. And, mm. and a man is always the leader and a woman is always the one that does the behind the scenes. Cause I never thought of my mom as less. I thought of her as quieter. And I thought of her at one point in time when I was 13 and 14 and going through a difficult um, time sorting myself out, I thought of her as not as strong as she really was mm. and is because I, she wasn't as noisy and rough about it as I am. Mm. So I assumed I was stronger than she, and that's it was a totally incorrect assumption. And I feel that that has sorted itself out now in my dotage, <laughs> or started to sort itself out pretty quickly at around 15. And I think that that, that early look at a, at a power dynamic set me up to understand that power is, is really in the eye of the beholder. So when I, when I saw my dad and I saw certain situations that would incite in him a deep anger or a, a frightening wrath, me not inciting those situations didn't make me feel weaker. It made me feel actually more empowered because I felt like I was understanding him greater. Mm-hmm. And in understanding someone, does that not yet give you more power as a human being on the planet? Because then hopefully you will be understood at a greater level. So I think realistically, my parents' relationship, the way the way the way they were with each other, the way they were with us, well, actually, 
I'm going to say the way they were with me, because I don't think it's fair for me to speak for my brother, because I will just talk about my own personal experience and the way that I naturally was as, as the hybrid of their two personalities allowed me to look at power as something that you gave to people to have over you Mm. or you understood was something that was a concept. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking slowly because I want to make sure that I'm very clear that I'm not talking about in the sense of, oh, I looked at people and I thought of them as more powerful than me and more frightening and scary so that I didn't do certain behaviors around them to irritate them or put myself in a position where I would be hurt. I never felt like I was going to be hurt by my dad if I did something irritating. I just thought I wouldn't be heard properly. Mm. So it was a different H word. I wouldn't be understood. And I always wanted to be understood. So I made sure that I understood when I was going out into the world and and in school and dealing with different adults and different, you watch people's, I mean, you can watch people dealing with certain situations and possibly their temper rising or their inability to communicate effectively or their inability to be calm. Mm -hmm. You can see it. It starts to happen. It's not, it's not an invisible uh, behavioral change. And I feel as though I became aware of it at a young age. And I think that, I always respected when people did have positions of sort of instantaneous power, such as you get a job, you have a boss. There's somebody who's been there longer than you or that's older than you, has more seniority or more experience. It doesn't make them a better, bigger, more powerful, more intelligent, more whatever, all these connotations person than you. It just makes them in a position where it's up to you to empower yourself to understand the situation as effectively as you possibly can. So the entire situation can go more smoothly, which brings me a little bit to your your comment about teamwork. To me, that's teamwork. So teamwork is not, to me, in my personal opinion, something that I think gets bandied about a bit too much nowadays is where everyone sort of gives up their own needs for some greater good, which, well, then what is the greater good? If we don't have needs anymore, then whose needs are they? Well, then they're the person in power's needs. Mm -hmm. So that's not teamwork. That's called a despot or a dictatorial government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I feel, I feel pretty strongly about that. I think that teamwork is incredibly difficult and I, I should probably preface this by saying it's not my favorite. So when I was a youth and I had a, a chance to be on a soccer team, well, I had, first of all, I had a chance to do track and field, which I did quite heartily in grade five and six. And loved it. I didn't do relay. I didn't do long distance running. I did long jump and high jump. Those were my things. And I was pretty good at it. And I was driven and I loved the the competitive uh, world that I lived in with myself, which was, I'm going to do better than last time, especially with high jump. I don't know, for some reason it spoke to me more than long jump, because if you falter, you you hit the bar and it falls down. Mm. So you got to lift your bum up a little higher. You got to arch your back a little bit. I really enjoyed it. And then in grade six, right at the tail end of grade six, a young woman who was my dear friend at the time grew. And she must have grown about four inches that year. And she had such long legs. And suddenly she was soaring over the bar with such little effort. And I was still expending a ton of effort to do the same heights she was doing. And I couldn't get, I couldn't go higher than her. And it was it was disappointing, but not in that way of, oh, she beat me or I'm no, I'm a lesser human being. It was disappointing to realize, oh, this isn't my natural gift. Mm. I went as far as I could go and I loved it and it was fun. I really did. I, it's funny. I can actually remember that feeling of, 
of when you know you're going to sail over the bar and that that whoop when you hit the mat at the end. Uh, I loved it. I, I actually loved it way more than long jump because I had a really hard time not falling. <laughs> After right. you landed? After you landed yeah. and screwing up the whole thing. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just didn't get as much a thrill out of that. This is funny because it's probably a bit more like a grand jeté, which is in ballet, mm-hmm. uh, than high jump is. But I think it was the it was the persnickety perfectionism that spoke to me a bit more about high jump. It was also the immediate physical react oh, you felt the bar, you'd mm-hmm. skim it, you'd, t- and you'd just be flying through the air, still not yet touching the mat before you think okay is it gonna stay up Mm -hmm. uh and then it was that that I guess that yeah that that deep disappointment where I realized huh I can't go any further with this Mm because I'm going to be up against kids with 30 inch inseams at 10 (laughs) I pretty much reach my apex 30 just as far as I'm going (laughs) it just couldn't Mm -hmm. uh so then I went to soccer in grade six and seven, I played, well, it was considered competitive soccer because we played within all the school's leagues. Now, you'll smile at this. My soccer team uh, was so tough. That's what we that was our reputation. It was a girls' soccer team. They were segregated leagues at the time. Uh, was so tough, they wouldn't let us play girls' teams anymore. No, they made us play boys. Mm. And we were invited to the provincials at the end of grade seven. And my dad turned to me after picking me up from one particular uh, game that I remember. I remember two things about that. I was rushing to a ballet, Foxes and Ballet, and a whole different part of myself appeared. Because once I made the decision that I wasn't going to stay with group athletics or singular athletics, I was going to focus all my attention on ballet, it became my everything. Hmm. And when you're um, a 13-year-old with doing your everything, dancing next to a recreationally this is fun, 13-year-old who's quite happy to explore the vagaries of puberty, you are not (laughs) (laughs) like-minded. And let's just say compatibility was nowhere near, nowhere near the forefront. And I found myself really having a difficult time not taking a leadership role because Mm -hmm. I was the peer. So it is not cool to step forward and say, well, I think we should do, or you did this wrong, or how come you weren't early, or why don't you know this part yet, or... And I found myself quickly feeling frustrated with that because I think instinctively I knew that a leadership role was something I felt quite comfortable in and that knowing that about myself, I was going to constantly look around at someone else who was in a leadership role uh, with me not being in a leadership role at the time. I'm trying to really tiptoe around this. So if I was in a, a take down, the, I was under <laughs> the auspices of someone else as the leader and I yeah. was to be a team player beneath that leadership, I was going to have pretty high, high expectations of how they would deal with that. And yeah. throughout my life found myself disappointed. Yeah. I found myself uh, frustrated and angry too, how some people take advantage of people that are in a leadership role that are gentle, kind, soft, have a hard time asserting themselves, have a hard time, even even when it's a creation, such as choreography, mm-hmm. have a hard time saying, no, I actually don't want it like that. When someone more bullheaded or maybe someone who they perceive to have more experience or whatever, mm-hmm. they let someone run, run, run ramshod over their feelings and their expression. And to be witness to that or bear witness to that was almost, you know, too much to bear at times. And 
I have to genuinely say, yes, being a team player is not my favorite. Mm. So when I am, for instance, having to clean a, a group choreography piece, I am always running right down the middle of that incredibly difficult place, which is running a democracy. Mm. When I want everyone to feel like they're being heard, so hands go, we have rules, obviously. It's it's not just chaos where people have to put up their hand. And, and I always say to them, but I do have the final say. Because if I don't remember exactly what the exact movement or count was, I do know what I don't do. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar enough with myself as a, as a movement creator that I know, yeah, I don't do that. I just, I don't do that because I physically still dance the movement. So if you're doing something that I know that physically, A, I can't do, or B, yeah, it just doesn't come to me. I'm not, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to go with dancer C over here instead of dancer A or B who insists that this is the way it went. Mm-hmm. And I think that for the most part, dancers are satisfied with that approach. I think that sometimes I don't get clean results as quickly as I could, which is frustrating Mm -hmm. because people that run a dictatorship, you know, a supposed team, exactly. This is the way it goes. You're wrong. No. How come you're doing this wrong again? And it is, I just can't run things like that. But I look at the results they get and they get immaculately clean pieces. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes with dancers who never want to dance it ever, ever again. Once they're done with the run of doing it, they never want to dance it again. Or they remember rehearsals and they give you that look that just says they were hell. And I, I don't want to I don't want to create an environment like that. So my my team playerness, <laughs> strange verb, uh, would be described as I think that it is important if you are a leader in this society to recognize this is a democratic society and we are trying to raise young people to have an intelligent voice. And I stress the intelligent part because just yakking for the sake of being heard means that you just need more attention. And that's something that really does detract from other people in the room. Mm -hmm. And I won't, I won't honor that more than once. Once we sort of sort out, okay, you just need some attention. So let's, let's honor that on the, at a different time and perhaps on a more personal one-on-one basis, but not when it's taking away from, and when it's also building the resentment of everyone else in the room. And I can see it. Mm-hmm. I can see the dynamic quickly sliding into something quite negative. Uh, but I believe in it being democratic in the sense that, you know what? I purposely forget all, well, I don't even purposely, I forget all my pieces once I choreograph them. Mm-hmm. My brain moves on to the next piece of choreography. When I say I forget them, I mean that I forget that my minutia and all the nitpicky details of it I don't forget the piece mm-hmm. so if you're dancing something in front of me I've never seen before I'm gonna say hmm, interesting choreography you've all done thank you but I don't think I did that uh or if you're dancing it in a musical way that is not the way I hear music I'll know that too so I feel as though right now the team playing in my life has a, a balance um I feel that it doesn't necessarily show itself in a balanced fashion in the world that I work in most often now, and that's the dance world. I feel that a lot of uh, leaders within the dance world really just want everyone to listen mm-hmm. and and do what they're being asked and, and not question, because I think a lot of the time the interpretation is the questions are disrespectful or they're questioning their their the leader's integrity or ability or experience and I don't necessarily feel that I feel like sometimes the questions are really genuinely trying to figure out how to do this extremely difficult thing Mm -hmm. or how to navigate it on that particular day with whatever 
baggage that young person's carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there, I, I hear questions about how to navigate uh, academic slash scholastic situations because similar dynamics occur in the school system. There's there's obviously a lot looser a structure than would appear in the discipline of a of a ballet classroom, and in many dance schools because there's more expectations for a disciplined behavioral code. Uh, and many people will be punished and yeah. asked to leave, which is something, and it's optional, so they don't want to leave. Whereas in school, it's mandatory, so a lot of people say, oh, you want to kick me out? I'm out of here, then see ya. Mm-hmm. But I feel as though one thing to really keep in mind when you are a teacher is, is that even though this might be the most important thing in the world to you, and what you're about to teach is the most important thing, it might not be to that person that you're talking to. And they might be navigating three or four other teachers who have told them the exact same thing. And when a kid's still in school and they're, especially in grade 10, 11, and 12, and they're being told that each subject is the most important subject that ever has been. And if that child has any aspirations to go to university, which at least 50% of them do, they want to get not a passing grade, not even a B. They want a good low A to A grade. So they are going to try and please that person in control. And if that person is making it out that everything else doesn't matter, it's completely negotiable and, and let's negate it. And let's just talk about that. And then, and when dance is that same thing about someone that's trying to get a transcript that's possible to go to a university, it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to navigate those waters as a teacher because it is frustrating as the Dickens. Mm-hmm. When someone comes in exhausted because they've been up, you know, all night studying for something, excuse me, or they uh, have to miss a certain early rehearsal or a half-day program because they had to stay for a test. Or maybe they're also in another competitive field and they need to be there. Or they're in musical theater or drama in the school. And, they, you know, there's so many things that can tug on a, on a young person. And my advice at that point is I, I get all my students, you'll remember, to sign a contract. Mm-hmm. And... I don't in all the school paradigms that I work in now because they already sign a contract that's to do with the school mm-hmm. that is so lengthy and detailed that if I gave them one, I think it would be just overwhelming. But in, in schools that uh, don't have that type of paradigm, they still, it's an updated and, and slightly edited contract version for this day and age. But it basically asks of students in grade 11 and 12 for themselves to start prioritizing, not for me Mm -hmm. and not for anybody else, but to really start thinking about if you are in something else highly competitive, like a sport, or if you are in an IB program or an AP program and your technically academic demands are going to be of such a high nature that it will be impossible for you to miss, say, two, three, four days of school for a competitive festival, can you start thinking about that? Because that's going to cause you a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. So I'm not telling them to make a choice now, because if you, uh, you know, if you're not here all the time for me, then you're not a very good student and you clearly aren't showing discipline. I'm, I'm asking them to try and make clear choices for themselves so that they're not in, caught in the middle of a tug of war or some deeply stressful situation where people are trying to make them out to be not caring or committed enough, which is so hurtful to be accused of that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's how I feel a bit about the teamwork, leadership dynamic, power dynamic situation. It also occurs in the, na- in the oh, I was going to say the natural workplace, but what I mean to say is in the, the regular workplace. Mm-hmm. And I feel that 
in the artistic workplace, a lot of guilt tripping is thrown around, such as you don't understand me and you aren't trying to bring the integrity of my piece to the forefront. And um, if only you would listen and, you know, that sort of thing, which is a bit of emotional blackmail, which is a whole other subject. But I feel that in the regular workplace, sometimes it just comes down to common sense and, and rationale. This person needs to get this job done. This person does this job as a living. Mm-hmm. This is their life. If you're working at Starbucks and you have a manager that needs to run this shop ship shape and have it open and close within uh, you know, a certain, again, structure and paradigm, and you've taken that job, then try to do it to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. It's not a time to try and cause some sort of civil uprising or, or you know, say, you know, the man's keeping me down or, you know, all these little cute catchphrases and such. It, you know, it might just be Starbucks to you. Well, it should be a job to you that you're trying to do to the best of your ability. And in my personal opinion, that's how jobs should be done. But to someone else, it might be their livelihood. It might be, that might be the end of the road of, of their ability to earn money at this point in time Mm -hmm. and you negating it or making it less than or mistreating it is is unfair unkind and and definitely not teamwork Mm. in my personal opinion so did that cover all of those things that you originally or have i left something out the only thing we haven't talked about is the teamwork that has been happening to appease this feline over here (laughs) (laughs) well he's just started Yeah, he uh, he comes forward. He'll crook his tail. See the question mark tail mm-hmm. for the audience that cannot see this. My cat has a long, fluffy orange tail that he dips forward into a question mark. Oh, dip. Oh, he's going to dip at the other side. <laughs> he's doing this exactly as we speak. Mm-hmm. And then he'll roll and writhe a bit. And then he'll make it clear that it's the time that you should be stroking, tickling him behind the ears. Purse, as you can hear. Audibly, yes, he's doing it all on cue. What an actor, Keiko! Brilliant, anyways. No, I, I, yeah, it is, um, it's such a huge negotiation as a young person and continuing into adulthood to try and understand what it means, um, to be able to support a room, support yourself, Mm -hmm. and know if what's being asked of you if if the same intentions are coming from the front of the room Mm -hmm. and then what to do if you understand that's not the case yeah yeah um you and i have spoken at great length about this we have spoken at great length Mm -hmm. about this and i've had lots of learning experiences Mm -hmm. about this i know i know um yeah well can i can i bring up something that we talked about in relation to this in the past and that's uh being givers and takers that again, a little bit like I, I spoke about the alpha and the beta and that not being a, an insult. It's, it's just a sort of an inadvertent archetypal role that we, we play within ourselves. And takers tend to more automatically expect someone to give them something before they move forward. And givers automatically expect of themselves to give before they move forward. Mm. So inadvertently, that yin-yang balance appears in a lot of relationships. And like you said, the intentions are not always pure and kind. Oftentimes, and that's not to say that the takers are always innocent. Or sorry, the givers are, you know, these incredibly beneficent human beings that only ever want to make other people feel good. 
oftentimes it's giving out of a sense of guilt. It's giving out of a sense of, well, I better do this because this is what I do. Or sometimes it's just giving because it makes you feel better Mm -hmm. because that's how you tick. So that motivation can also be interpreted as as slightly Mm self-serving, right? Uh, I think that takers, just like the alphas, quite often get given sometimes a bad rap. And sometimes, again, I think it's a question of, is power being used to empower or is power being used to crush Mm -hmm. and to shape and to um, mold? I don't believe in that theory. I am not, let's break them down and build them back up again. Let's mold them into the best shape of ourselves. Let's mold them into someone that we have been shaped and inspired by. I, I feel like I've been shaped and inspired by a lot of human beings over time, but I haven't been shaped by them because I let them shape me. I've been shaped by them because they've inspired me. And so I've taken what they are, or who they are as a human being and thought, oh, wow, I'd like, I'd like to activate that somewhere within me or try to. And I think that that's what I ask my students to do. And, and if, if you're an adult student in a situation where you're working for someone and you're not being inspired by what's happening at the front of the room, and if what's happening at the front of the room is, is quite predominantly self-serving, then how one can view that situation is with compassion and then find what, sorry, Keiko is being distracting, <laughs> and, and find what can be cons- considered um, self-shaping within that situation. So mm. sometimes we can become so much more evolved and wiser and kinder in the universe by dealing in a very difficult situation where we feel like we're being kept down because how we deal with that, the grace with which we deal with that, the, the alacrity, the, I, I, I'm going to say the kind compassion with which we deal with that is so difficult to muster and summon in those moments that it's, it's 100% a growing experience. it's impossible not to evolve further Mm -hmm. coming out of that. And I think that that's what I, I ask my young students to do a lot when they are upset and speaking of a situation in which there's a power struggle or power dynamic, sometimes within their family, sometimes within um, a learning environment at school, sometimes within the studio, as I, I ask them to remember that that other person is 100% human and they come with, a whole set of, uh, we'll call it an agenda, but the agenda is not necessarily malevolent and it's not necessarily, their intention is not necessarily to do it to you. It's, it's in them and it's their own agenda and they can't help but spew it out on you. So how about you be in charge of how you take it? Are you just going to follow blindly and put yourself at risk, both mm-hmm. emotionally and physically? Or are you going to say, wow, I feel like what you're saying, it's a bit like that counseling situation again, right? It is inside your head. You have to say, I feel like what you're really saying is, is that you would like to see us dance this to the best of our ability. Well, I'm going to. And if at the end of that, I'm still hearing what could almost be constituted as verbal abuse, then I'm going to recognize you're incapable of saying anything else. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to volunteer, which is what it is to stay in that situation, if I'm a student 
or stay in that situation, if it's a job, then I'm going to have to take something of this that is for me. I'm not going to let this be a give, 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 you take and, and leave me an empty husk of a human being. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is very difficult. And I, it's funny, I went through a big spring cleaning in the last five days and cleaned out a, a closet that happens to be behind you as you sit. I went into the corners of that closet that I clearly had not gone into for years. And I found a bag full of shoes. And it was so funny because my daughter said, oh, mama, why do you keep all these point shoes? And I said, I don't know. You know, I, many of them are past the point of usefulness. I, I, I've given away garbage bags of point shoes to students that have same size feet. Unfortunately, I only have one right now that has the same size feet. So she's she's been the recipient of some. Um, but I've kept, oh, I don't know, 20 pairs. But also in that bag was another bag. And inside that bag were two pairs of character shoes a pair of jazz shoes, no less, and a pair of jazz runners. All of those were for pieces that I had been hired to do. And so the pieces and the experience came rushing back at me as I'm looking at the shoes. The jazz shoes, funnily enough, were so old. (laughs) How to date myself. They were the um, type that was very popular years back that you, they were runners that you could go up and point on. So they Mm -hmm. had that bendy arch. When I pulled them out of the bag, the bendy arch part, the sole just popped off. It just just basically, it just cracked off. And then it started, it looked like a slow motion iceberg going into the ocean. Yeah. Just started, I held it up and it just crack, crack, crack. And so all this black, nasty rubbers all over the floor. Needless to say, as I, as I opened this bag, I thought of those situations and some of those situations were immediately the, the first feeling was negative. Oh, I remember when I had to do blah, blah, blah. And then the next feeling was, wow, did I ever learn? Because I, I just had to make those experiences. Because I, in one of those pieces that I had the shoes from, I was 22. So younger than you. A couple of those other pieces, I was in similar age category as you. And yeah, I did a lot of swallowing. I did a lot of swallowing. At the time, I thought I was swallowing my pride, which was something I really had to negotiate and navigate later at the end of the day of the rehearsal when you're at home and realize, no, no, that wasn't my pride. Well, actually, it could be considered, I think, um, if I might step outside my comfort zone here and say theologically, with that saying that says pride cometh before a fall, I believe they're referring to the, the worst incarnation of pride in which it's just all very surface and it's all about being right. Mm-hmm. And it's all about being better than. And I think at that moment in the rehearsal, that's what I was feeling was just, I'm not going to say this out because I refuse to, you know, go down to your level and get involved in this altercation. But really what I was experiencing was negotiating other humankind that was incapable of communicating in a more effective manner or maybe a more impartial manner or maybe in a more democratic manner or maybe in a less selfish manner. Mm-hmm. And learning how to navigate that is a brilliant skill that is going to keep everyone so much more satisfied throughout life because we are always going to be navigating that in the simply simply in day-to-day events, sometimes in negotiating a person at a till. Uh, maybe they've rung up an item that to the best of your knowledge is rung up incorrectly, but they believe themselves to be right, or the barcode says one thing and the shelf said another, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it again goes back to okay, this person right now is in a position of power 
over me, and I'm doing air quotes around the word over me, because that's a perspective. Is it really over you or is it just within this model that you're sitting in at that moment? And how do you want to navigate that? And what does that mean about you in that moment? What are you learning about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? I steer off into the distance right now. I'm trying to see, <laughs> trying to hear my words and think if that makes full sense. None of that made any sense. Oh, okay. I have to start all over again. <gasps> no, completely. Um, yeah, it makes me think about how, what a difficult lesson it is to learn to not be appeasing, but appease certain situations, learn to be aware of what's happening around you and work with what's in the room when yeah. scenarios like that are happening. Yeah. But it also reminds me of how important and difficult endings can be. Yes. We want to, we want to fight for things yeah. and we don't, there's so many things that tell us don't be the one that gave up yeah. or, yeah. but, um, in the same way that it's such a big lesson to learn how to exist inside of those situations, mm-hmm. what a big lesson it is to learn how to take yourself out of them when you need to at yeah. the same time. And, and also if I might just sort of be a devil's advocate, it doesn't have to be an ending in that true sense of that word. One can think of a situation no longer being the same, but it's all, it's, it's just the beginning of a learning journey for you. And m- maybe one can always hope for the other person as well, mm-hmm. or the person's, so I feel like um, endings are very difficult because they're so final and we think of them as, as if there's no more, there's, there's no more hope. There's no more chance. There's no more. And I refuse to be the person that says that's okay. Well, how about if it's not an ending, it's a change. Mm-hmm. That's a big, heavy concept to finish this podcast on, <laughs> but I think that's where we're at. We must change our thought processes. This podcast is going to end now oh <laughs> my goodness Sorry. apparently you weren't listening no we're gonna do a, a changeover that'd be lovely a ball change ball change. <laughs> I, I still don't get those very smoothly we um, need my... we need your jazz runners oh my goodness yeah the ones that are crumbled to pieces in the recycling bin okay well i'll go get my jazz runners how about we do that on this break that's okay thank you sir thank you Elisa.